Hello, welcome to another episode of Spirit Seeds Podcast, where us four guys, myself, Vasily, and Mario, Roman, and Nick, get together and have a conversations, all things relevant to our lives and probably yours. How, sp- how did Spitting Seeds Podcast came to be? Us four hang out quite a bit and would have some good conversations when we sometimes would hear, you know, stories about people within the Slavic community, somebody that did something unusual, something great, something good, but also people that have unusual and different point of view on things and life, and we thought it would be really cool to talk to them. And then it would be even better to record these conversations and share it with others. And that's how Spitting Seeds podcast came to be. So our goal is to bring bring on as many different people focused on Slavic community and talk to them. Somebody that has an interesting story, an interesting experience in their life, or maybe a, a different point of view, an un- unusual point of view on something in life. It would be very interesting to sit down and talk to them, have them explain themselves, pick their brain a little bit. Really looking forward to a lot of these conversations. We've confirmed already several of them and excited to talk to those people and excited to share those conversations with you guys. And if you know somebody that you think should be able to share their story or maybe share their point of view on something, give us a chance to pick their brain a little bit. would love to hear from you. You can shoot me a text at 206-859-1863 and maybe we'll get an opportunity to bring them on and talk to them as well. And this is not going to be a very professionally edited and formal podcast. It's just uh, as casual conversation as possible, just us talking to other people. We will not have a guest every episode. Sometimes it will be just the four of us talking about things that are relevant to our lives and probably yours and share our point of views and maybe you can share your point of views with us and start conversations about meaningful things in life such as our faith and church and work and politics and family and all things in between and really looking forward to a lot of exciting conversations and excited to introduce our guest today who is Kat Vavrenyuk. She got accepted and currently attends Cornell University, an Ivy League school and we talk about the school, what does one have to do to get accepted, the culture and lifestyle at the university And we also talk about if the school had any effect on her faith, since it's a very large, influential, and a liberal university. We talk about marriage a little bit. We talk uh, about politics and everything in between. A really, really good conversation. Hoping you guys will enjoy as much as we did. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of Spitting Seeds, episode number two. We have our first guest with us here today. And before we introduce the guest, 
We have Mario here. Hello. We have Roman. Hello, everybody. And we have Nick with us. Hello. And today we have an opportunity to talk to one of our friends we grew up in church with. Cat uh, used to be Juravel, now Cat Vavrinuk. Can I say hello? Hello, everyone. And we'll. Kea will introduce herself and tell us more about herself in a, in a second, but Kea got ma- married, moved to New York, and Kea, can you tell us what was, what was did you live in New York before you got married, or was yes. that only after? I lived in New York. I went to Cornell for a semester, uh, and so then... I think we should clarify that you moved to New York for Cornell, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So I'll just quickly introduce myself. So my name, as Vasya said, is Katarina, and I used to be Zerovel, but now I'm Vavrinyuk because I married Vitaly Vavrinyuk. And we live in New York, upstate New York, because I attend Cornell University, and I'm a second-year student there, undergraduate student. And right now my major is technically undeclared, but I'm going to major in government and philosophy and then my minor, I'm probably going to minor in something as well. But yes, so I first applied to Cornell. I was accepted and I started school there and I basically attended a semester. I came back for spring break and I was engaged. Uh, I went back to school to finish off my semester, and in the summer, we started planning our wedding, and we got married in September. I took a semester off, took the fall semester off, and then we went back to Cornell together in January of 2018. That's a very good intro, and we'll get dissect a lot, uh, a lot of that, but how did you, I think, from the people that I know, especially in like our Slavic community, do, do we know anybody else that's in the... It was or is a student in Ivy League school? Is UW considered Ivy League? No, sir. <laughs> Hold on, I think Katarina no, sir. knows. <laughs> She'll know. Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. UW has a really good medical school, though. Really good. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of Slavic people who have gone to UW. It's becoming a common thing. But I think Ivy League, I think there's a very, very limited number of people. Kat is a pioneer. Yeah, it's. I feel like it feels good that you guys say that it's an Ivy League because so many people at Cornell, like there's like a meme page where all the Ivy League schools basically post memes and everybody makes fun of Cornell and says it's like a fake Ivy League. So it's nice to have like some appreciation well, we, when it comes to We don't home. know enough about Ivy League schools <laughs> to tell them which one's fake, which one's real. Was it always your goal to attend Cornell or is that something that you just sent out a whole bunch of applications everywhere and kind of whatever... You know, whoever Sticks. responded, or is it one of those schools that you like? I really want to go to Cornell, or just happen to go there. So I, n- I never had like a dream to go to Cornell specifically. I just wanted to go on the East Coast because I was really interested uh, in subjects that I think the East, East Coast schools typically teach better. So things like government, philosophy things in the liberal arts, because I noticed that the West Coast uh, is very technology and medicine focused, which is really good, except I didn't want to go into tech or medicine. And I know on the East Coast, if you, for instance, want to go into law, which I'm considering, or into politics, I mean, you have DC, you have NYC, you have a lot of those central cities where it's very uh, easy, not easy, but you know, you can find a lot of jobs in those fields. And also, all the Ivy League schools are on the East Coast. And I thought it would be really cool to attend an Ivy League school because I think that 
you do get a really good education um and a lot of those schools have some of that some of the best professors and the best minds in the world teaching you and i thought that would be so fascinating so i did send out like applications to different schools on the east coast and i was accepted to to uh to like two other schools to university of virginia and to fordham university i think president trump attended fordham university for the first two years and then he transferred to upenn um but then i was accepted to cornell and i uh chose to go there because I think that it outranked the school the you know, the other two schools in academics in terms of like how the campus looked and in terms of like financial aid and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about Cornell, where it is, what's kind of just like a brief history of Cornell? Yeah. So Cornell University is located in New York State. It is in upstate New York in a little city slash town called Ithaca. And Really, Cornell is surrounded by so much country and farms, but Ithaca is very unique because it's, you know, it's not like the surrounding farmland, basically, because there's so much to do, because half the population is composed of just undergrads and graduate students, because Ithaca has Cornell University and Ithaca College. Uh, So literally half the population, I believe, is just students. Uh, And so that brings in it creates almost like an artificial economy where there's so many businesses and so many restaurants, so many activities to do. And it's definitely not the same as like Seattle um, in terms of just the buildings and all the, you know, crazy businesses. Uh, But there's definitely a lot of things to do, but it still retains the beauty of a country, uh, you know, of a countryside, if that makes sense. I don't know if you've ever been to Pullman. I feel like Pullman, Washington is the same way where it's like a, a big school there, and that that's a it, like the whole economy depends on it. Of, they call them college towns, but I know like yeah. Texas A and M has uh, I forgot it's in like Lub- L- Lubbock, Texas, Lubbock, where it's Lubbock. something like that. But yeah, Ludenbach, Texas. Uh, Johnny Cash sings about it, and the Wailing Jennings. Oh yeah, I know oh. the Wailing Jennings. I saw them in concert, but in Ithaca actually. Um, but. Yeah, and we actually have a college town in Cornell, and it's so crazy because just this past winter break, I stayed until like December 22nd, and by that time, all the students have left, and it's a ghost town. I mean, college town literally... It, all the restaurants that you see there just cater to a typical college student diet. So there's three boba tea places. I mean, here even boba tea, you have to kind of drive like 15 minutes and like, you know, every other 15 minutes you might see boba tea or whatever. But there it's just three of them in like one block. Um, and there's pizza, college town bagels, what else? Wings, just your typical student diet. So it's cool to see. So it's that. kind of like U district in Seattle, but like a whole city. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. When you, we brought up uh, food, and I think when, uh, what's his name, Malcolm Gladwell with his episode in Ivy League schools and their budgets and cafeterias, is it pretty accurate what he was talking about when it comes to food and you guys have like s- organic everything and lobsters and steaks and everything, everything you can think of and that's what's in uh, school cafeterias? Oh, yeah. I, I think the most surprising thing to me when I came to Cornell was – the size of the campus was the first thing. And the second thing was just how good the food was because I mean, there's like chicken dipped in champagne. I probably have mentioned that so many times. Uh, And Cornell also makes its own ice cream, milk, uh, you know, honey is made by local farmers. Cornell the, is really involved with like the local farming. Yeah, industry, right? so there's so many local farmers contributing to what ends up in the cafeterias. And the, the only thing with Malcolm Gladwell's podcast or the, the episode that he did on the lunches at many of these schools is we actually um, 
I actually had an opportunity to talk with the president of Cornell, Martha Pollack, and I asked her that question. I asked her why, you know, is it possible that we could get some of the money that's being spent on food and use it towards financial aid? And what she said, and I didn't really investigate this fully, but what she said is none of the money that like the Cornell dining uh, and the cafeteria and all that stuff, it's self funding so they essentially sell meal plans and they use the money that they get from meal plans to just buy food so she kind of gave that explanation so that's why do they focus on food so much well he did uh, it's all three episodes you have to listen to the malcolm gladwell gladwell episodes and he talked about how all these fancy schools they invest a whole bunch of money into like buildings and food and all these like you know bowling alleys and they attract. We do have ca- a bowling alley. <laughs> they attract like rich cash students that pay cash for tuition, but they don't spend a lot of money on financial aid. But he said there's a school, let's say like Green River Community College. They don't have fancy stuff. And his kind of explanation or angle was the Green River, let's say Community College. And this is just a random example. The statistically, he, uh, Green River might be spending a lot more money on financial aid, like percent percentile wise, than let's say Cornell. But then since they're spending their money on financial aid, they're not attracting enough like wealthy students because their school's not fancy. So it's kind of like always not enough finances because, yeah, it's like all three episodes and they're actually very interesting. Well, I like think another point that he made was that these schools, uh, like these are like Ivy League schools, like we said, and like you're, you expect students that come from these universities to be like the top of everything. But what they end up doing is they like they pawn out for the rich kids, for the parents who are wealthy and they don't actually get a lot of talent because a lot of these rich kids, they're just average. They're not actually like, you know, geniuses and stuff. So his idea is that like, hey, let's put more resources to find those gifted kids and put them in universities like this where they can receive the best education and um, capitalize on their like natural, you know, their yeah, giftedness, yeah. their natural like intelligence that they have and capitalize on that with world class <clears throat> instructors rather than. You know, some future genius. Like, imagine if yeah. Elon Musk, if he went to, like, you know, Highland Community College. And he probably would still be a really smart student there. But he'd probably end up being, you know, working in some random industry, never, you know, making change in the world. But, no, he went to, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know where he went, but I'm sure he went to, like, a good school somewhere. He had really good instructors. And that helped him a lot to propel him to be where he is today. Yeah, he covered, like, a couple, and we're going to come back to Kat. And he covered, like, a couple angles. Another one, he said... uh all these like big companies, let's say like Nike and other guys, they donate money to look fancy. Let's say I think uh, the is it David Knight or something Knight, the Nike owner, and he donated like seven hundred million dollars. Is it to Stanford or Harvard? I think Stanford. To Stanford. Yeah, to st- seven hundred million. And his thing was that a lot of all these Ivy League schools they have over twenty billion dollars in savings, so they, they get like two to three percent growth just in interest rate. So he's like, if Stanford is getting $3 billion just from their interest rate growth, and if you donate $700 million to Stanford, it's kind of like a drop in the bucket. But if you take those $700 million and donate to Highland or Community College, you can transform like, the whole city. So that's kind of his point. But people still do donate like hundreds of millions of dollars to like all these Ivy League schools so the, they could get a name on the, on the building. But he's like, hey, if he has $23 billion in the savings and you give him another $500 million, it doesn't really do anything. It's interesting. Uh, so yeah, he did. A, he covered a couple of, like different interesting angles. Elon Musk. He went to Stanford and then UPenn. 
Yeah. Nice. Oh, and speaking of the um, endowments, is is I, I believe endowments is essentially kind yeah, of that's what, what called. rich people when they give a donation to a school. I think Harvard's endowment is thirty seven billion, and so that's so true. Where you do end up having a lot of rich people uh, give money to Harvard because they want their child to attend Harvard, and most of these top schools, their funding, the majority of their funding relies on endowment, not tuition. And if you look at Harvard, for instance, they are actually very generous with their tuition. And a lot of Ivy League schools are generous with their, tu- with their tuition because they can afford to be because by far um, their endowment money is more valuable than the money that they receive from tuition. Uh, that's good. And you, you now you're on your second year at Cornell? Yep. Yeah, and just a little bit, let's say, f- for somebody like me, never been to Cornell, never never attended university, but even a culture-wise, because when I think of fancy university, it's more of like... Didn't, didn't you attend uh, Trump <laughs> University? <laughs> Signed up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Did it g- got, got shut down before you could start? <laughs> yeah, I got... I, all night classes. I was pissed. <laughs> I was going to get yeah. rich on real estate oh investments. Well. But even the uh, culture there, let's say, when I think of, you can say, very generalized... Student at Cornell is it more like nerdy kids that just like nerd out about random stuff, or is it more like when we watch like movies about universities, just like a whole bunch of like jocks and partying and who cares? Come to next day to class, high, drunk, hungover, whatever. Or is it more since it's like more higher level schooling? Is it more taken seriously, or still kind of live scene up and running and hype or less of? I think it depends on what college you're talking about at Cornell because Cornell has a lot of colleges. It has the College of Arts and Sciences, College of Engineering, College of, it's called CALS. I always forget what the acronym stands for and just has so many colleges. So I would, so I'm in the College of Arts and Sciences and I would say in the College of Arts and Sciences, a lot of people are very talkative and they do take school seriously. But if I had to like categorize, I guess, the culture or people, I would say there, there definitely are people who don't take school seriously, who do come to class like drunk and high and you can tell and you know that they don't care about their grades. There are also people who care about their grades, are very smart, but still go to parties uh, and also will sometimes come to class drunk, but they're very smart. And then there's people who don't party um, and who really focus on their grades all the time. So I, I guess those would be my three categorizations off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, it just d- differs, I think, in terms of you know what college you're in. So those drunk and high people, that, but they also, their parents or somebody pays for their tuition, correct? The ones that don't take school seriously? I, I think so. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would assume that somebody pays for their tuition. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those people, you know, did get a lot of financial aid and so they didn't have to pay for a lot of right. their tuition. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they came from just a richer family. Where okay. What would, would I be able to, like, if I'm in town, would I be able to come in and just sit in on your class then? Yeah, depending on what size the class is. I've actually had friends come over uh, and they've sat in one of my classes. So if it's like a class with 100 people, you're definitely going to be able to sit in because the professor and the TAs don't really know all the students. If it's a 40-student class, you probably won't get away with it because the professor usually knows the students. And I think the largest class that I've ever had was a 1,000 students. That's like not the average at all, but it's just a large class because a lot of students who you know who are government majors philosophy majors basically non-science or med majors stem majors uh they 
have to take this class to get not have to but they usually take this class to get uh, fulfill their science requirement so that's why the class is so huge and so i've actually had uh, you know a friend sit in there and of course nobody's going to notice you you can go there every single week if you want to okay so you can basically siphon off and an education if you really want it you're not gonna have anything to show for it but you can literally educate yourself and then just leave is what you're saying covertly <laughs> technically you can whether or not you should is different right <laughs> you can right. do the same thing on youtube yeah i I, I, under- I understand i just i, I would want to i've go gotten many s- degrees on youtube i just have nothing to show for them <laughs> yeah i would no. you definitely have no nothing to show for <laughs> them <laughs> phd in conspiracy theories. <laughs> right. to go back to what you're asking uh financial aid and scholarships they have very strict guidelines about because uh, i have been a recipient of financial aid and like hmm if you are on finance, yeah, I know. Um, if you're a recipient of financial aid, the furthest you'll get by having like a party quarter is that one quarter, right? Because if you like have below a certain grade or below a certain number of attendance, they cut you off right away. Speaking of like atten- attending classes, I'm assuming you were planning to, you know, attend like a higher than average school. And what was your like? How what was your plan? Were there some things that you did? Let's say if somebody listening there freshman in high school or maybe sophomore maybe younger and they're like hey maybe one day i want to attend like a ivy league school and once you're a senior in high school it's probably too late to plan for that but what are some specific things that you did of course besides you know high grades and gpa but i know there's other stuff like you joined like a random sports team to (laughs) to have on your uh, i guess on your list of accomplishments but i guess if i'm uh, entering you know being a freshman in high school i'm like hey one day i want to attend cornell and you're like, hey, I did these specific things, and I feel like, the, or you feel like that, that gave you a much better shot at getting accepted into school at Cornell. Yeah, I, I definitely do have just general advice to give. Again, you know, each person is going to be different, and you know, depending on what they want to do later in life, what college they want to go to. So I try to like make this advice or these points fairly general enough that they could apply to as many people as possible. So if you're a freshman in high school, what I would say is, first of all, pursue what you're interested in. And of course, that probably requires in the beginning for you to experiment. And you you don't know if you like biology unless you take a bio class. Uh, And to always, obviously, in the classes that you are taking to try your best. So just because you're uh, experimenting, just because you are trying to find what you're interested in, does not mean that you are all of a sudden not supposed to get good grades in those classes. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would be not to do too many things once you find what you're interested in. So if you know if you know that you're interested in politics and you do not like sports, don't join a sports team. Like if you do not like sports, like you don't have to join a sports team. And there's a quote uh, that people always toss around, jack of all trades, master at none. But that's not the full quote. The full, the full quote is jack of all trades, master at none is better than master at one. And so a lot of people, like they hear that, the full quote, and they're like, oh, so that means jack of all trades is like so much better. But I think what that quote is trying to say is you should definitely do many things. You know, obviously not so much that you're overwhelmed, that you're kind of doing things in order to just put them on your resume. But you should do maybe like join two or three activities, make sure to take fairly difficult classes. That's, that would, you know, you would count as a jack of all trades in a sense. Uh, because 
I don't think it's true that anybody can be a master at one, really, because everything in the world is so interconnected. Like, even if you like biology, I mean, at this point in life, biology, you know, is becoming connected with politics. Uh, science is becoming connected with politics. And so I guess that second point, what I'm trying to say is don't do too many things, but don't do too little things. Have a balance. Okay, yeah, that, 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 that's what I wanted to ask you, too, is... Uh, Uh, did, uh, did you take any classes that you never saw yourself taking prior to going to school or any classes that you just took for enjoyment? Not like I know you're very focused mm -hmm. and very driven. You have a goal in front of you. But did you take any classes like any for enjoyment or any classes you just never thought you'd take, but you're in them now or you took them? I think I made a lot of mistakes my high school year. I think that I took so the classes I took two classes, I think, that I just did not like, but I felt like I needed to take them because it would look good on my transcript. So I took AP Chemistry and I took AP Physics. And I hated, I hate those two subjects uh, to this day. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that I had such a bad experience in high school because I was like, oh, I'm not going to take regular physics. Like I need to, I need it to be advanced placement. It's going to look better. I mean, But, you know, I was taking AP classes in like your, you know, history and writing and all these other subjects that I liked. Like I didn't need to take AP science classes. So I guess that would be like a negative example of classes that I took that I probably shouldn't have taken. But did I take classes for enjoyment? Uh, in high school, I think it's harder because you just have so many requirements yeah. that are strict. In college, I definitely have yeah, taken that's, classes. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Oh, Cornell. okay. In, in college. Yeah. Okay, yes, in Cornell, oh yes, I definitely have taken many classes for enjoyment. I think that the first class uh, was just, I think it was called, intro, uh, no, not Intro to Christianity. It was, um, a it was studying the New Testament, and it didn't really go towards my major, um, but it still does fulfill some type of credit. You know, every class you take fulfills some type of requirement. And I think I learned so much from that course about just the New Testament. And I even took a New Testament Greek course. Again, that's not me. That's probably not going to help me with my major. But I really enjoyed it. I think it really opened up. Like, I look at random words, like English words, and I know their roots. You know, I know where that came from. So. And do you recommend that or do you regret that? No, I definitely recommend that. Of course, don't take... If you if you have five classes to take, I, I would not recommend taking four of them for enjoyment or even three of them. Obviously, have a plan, be structured, but don't be afraid to take classes for enjoyment because otherwise, I think your life is going to be a little bit sad. But also, I think when you say take classes for enjoyment, it's a little it's, it's a bit of a tricky question to answer because I think that if you are pursuing the major you want to pursue, your you know the classes that you're going to be taking are going to be enjoyable yeah okay. so. I, i understand that. i think yeah. i can add to this um when i went to when i was an alumni at a green river community college i hey. took a green river <laughs> alumni <laughs> um before i switched over to highline and we'll do we'll do another interview just mario and asking him questions about yeah. his experience a lot of information <laughs> there a lot of gold but anyways when i was an alumni at green river college um i took archery that was one of like i took a, okay i took a gap year And I uh, took archery, and it was not related to any anything at all. It was actually a very archery was not related to nursing. It was wasted, wasted <laughs> quarter, wasted I was money. I, I was looking through memes today. You know, just said you know so much time, and one of the things there were, one of the pages was like something along the lines of things why people like to do, and one of the th one of the things was taking a gap year. <laughs> I just think it's a gap year. But I'll tell you what, if there's ever some kind of like nuclear holocaust or something, your boy with the bow is going to be providing... Like a, like a bird box situation? Bringing oh the bacon. Goodness. I see. Going back to Kat's point though, um, taking sometimes taking advanced classes is not like... 
the best for you because I did Running Start because everybody in my family did Running Start and everyone says it's the greatest thing ever. I kind of regretted it because I did a lot of sports in high school and I, I feel like I missed out on a lot and a lot of experiences because I took Running Start and then I went on a different path. And um, uh, also going point, uh, to the point to where you don't know until you try, like I really wanted to be a policeman. I went on a ride along and they tackled naked drunk people and it's like man i really do not want to do that for my life so i started exploring you know other things that, that that's definitely true you have to like uh kind of if you sounds like your average tuesday night to me <laughs> try it before you pry <laughs> no like going off of that so obviously briefly mentioned my sporting like my random sport which was lacrosse i uh-huh. took it for a year what is lacrosse can you explain to people who maybe don't know Oh my goodness! It's an Ivy League it's sport. Like in thirty seconds, like main. Okay, main it is primarily pop. It is primarily popular on the East Coast. It is a combination of soccer and basketball and football. So you basically have sticks, and there's a ball, and you the ball kind of fits in the stick in the pouch that's at the tip of the stick, and you have to try to get the ball into the other person's goal and you have goalies and it's set up like the, the positions are very much set up like soccer. It's a very interesting yeah. sport. So can well, I let me get this right? Hold on. I just want to know <laughs> if I, I understood it. I just want to summarize it. I think Go ahead. You, you first. I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, I think we're getting the same way. If, I, if you're a rich white kid and then you don't get accepted s- into soccer or football, your daddy creates a new sport for you. With sticks and balls and yeah. uh, positions and goals. Essentially, I think that's what it is. Okay. I, I think the sport has Native American origins. How, is do, it, do you think it helped you on your resume for no. school? Oh, no. No, I think that was such a waste. I, I mean, I was really enjoyed it. Was that the intention it. of taking, uh, yeah. joining it? My on? intention was, I think I told myself that, oh, I'm just taking this to like try it. But I knew that I was taking it just to kind of say that I took it and to you know to look better on my application because I didn't continue it my senior year. I was already a junior. I had not done a sport since middle school and I did love sports, but if I had wanted to pursue a sport and like genuinely pursue a sport, I should have probably done that like my freshman year, my sophomore year. So was it an interesting experience? Like, do I just regret everything about it? Oh no, definitely not. I think I learned a lot, but I guess... Uh, you know, my justification for taking it was not the best. So how is lacrosse and LaCroix, how are they related? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think What's they are. What's the connection there? Because <laughs> no, uh, only white people are. do both. <laughs> That's, that <laughs> That's is true. true. That is very That's true. A, no, astute uh, observation. Yeah, can't mention her sporting career, sports career. I have a, not a very lengthy one, but I do have a, a sports a career in high school. <laughs> it's a very short-lived one, but I tried out for soccer. No, first... Actually, no, I was more than once, once poor, but when I just came to America, and I think it was either second or third year of me being in America, I think it's second, because I spoke very, very little English, and my English teacher was very optimistic, so she encouraged me to try out for basketball, but I had no idea what the coach was saying, and it was a very sad moment, because my mom had to pick me up after three-day tryouts, and on the third day, coach like posted a list of people that made it on the list, and I didn't make the team, so it was. And there's I like had to tell you have to tell the parents. There's like, like oh. 25 people that tried out, and 24 made the team. Yeah, <laughs> like the guy that doesn't understand <laughs> so anything. Sad. But my second sport is. But you gotta tell g- them how short you were. I was oh. really short. Y- you were like three something, four <laughs> no, two. No, I think like this four is before three. the surgery that you had. To <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually was very short until s- s- freshman year. And freshman year, I joined a soccer team. It was a C team. Well, I was in a C team. Nice. And but it was uh, but it was one of those teams we never we the whole season we didn't win one game, and we had like you know sometimes you watch a movie, and you have like the 
all the like good teams and like one team always kind of like, oh, what are those guys doing here? Like, who are the guys? Like, we had one guy on the team that was colorblind. So in the course, like, line up on a yellow line. <laughs> so he would just watch people where people line up and he would line up with them. We had another guy that really loved <laughs> slide tackles. But he would do it way too early. So he would, like, chase the guy, and he would, like, slide, and he would stop sliding. And he would still be, like, three feet away from the <laughs> ball. So, but, yeah, I was on the team, and it was me. And then shout out Imagine to the coach. Imagine the coach. Every day he has to come Yeah, and he had to be up to Knowing his team. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Ruslan Opanasevich. He was on my team as well. So we're both forwards. They call us the Euro forwards. But we still never won one game the whole season. Shout out to Sergi Polishchuk. Wasn't he, like, a coach at a school? He still is. He still is, right? He Football still is. coach? Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know if I'm getting this right. Maybe Nick can confirm. I think he was had a, like a good job position at Nordstrom. As a, I believe he had an accounting position at Nordstrom headquarters. And his wife was going to law school. She finished school. And then he's like, hey, got to do something or whatever the, his thought process was. But he quit his kind of, you know, you can say stable, good paying accounting position. And he became a school teacher. So he can coach sports. So kind of like that. Well, like what school grade? Uh, Elementary, middle? Mountain View, right? Yeah, Mountain View. Oh, high school. Okay. High school. school. So that you can still like live with yourself kind of like don't want to. What do you mean live with yourself? Beat the kids? Because like middle school, that'd be so frustrating to me. I don't know. Um, debatable because what if middle school, I feel like maybe they would listen to you more. High school kids is like, he comes like to practice or comes to class like a high and you're like, come on. Uh, but middle school more, he's like, I feel like maybe he respects the you The coordination more. is not fully developed yet. Yeah, a lot of... Just like, but I, I would have... I had a football career in varsity at Riverside and I would have got drafted if it wasn't for my ankle. Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you took an arrow to the knee, Yeah. <laughs> In Coach works me too hard, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. His archery my class. We, uh, w- my very first year in high school of playing basketball, and uh, <clears throat> they also posted uh, he, our. Well, it was a small school. The coach knew who was going to make the team, who was not going to make the team, and um, we had um, tryouts were over, and there's this kid who uh, moved from a bigger city, uh, from far away, like nobody knew him. And uh, he he made the team. Uh, he just walked in. The coach didn't even see him try out. He cut one of his guys, and the other guy made the team. Wow. Yeah, he was the only black kid on our team that year. Oh, my goodness. Um, Were you that guy that got cut? No, no. I was uh, I was on varsity that year. We we went 4-7, and seven, so not a great season also. We made playoffs at 4-7 and seven because uh, it was a 2A team. Okay, now that we bragged about our extensive sporting careers, uh, back to Ka. You mentioned taking New Testament classes and Greek, and uh, that's awesome and amazing. But I think even us, you know, young guys, when we think of universities and liberal and all of that stuff, and we don't have to get into details, but do you feel like going to school, like such a, you know, big school, I don't know how liberal it is, but do you think you had any moments where you had to maybe your faith was challenged or you're like, oh man, like every day they're kind of preaching the same thing over and over again or you didn't have that or is it just kind of like generalized and that doesn't happen in school? What was your experience, you can say, you know, with like usually faculties now is more lenient liberal and you grew up in church. What was your experience there? Yeah, I definitely had, you know, struggles with my faith, but in my experience, I actually struggled 
the few months before I started college, which was very interesting because most people, it happens once they mm -hmm. start, you know, college and take classes. And when, and, and it's interesting because the moment that I started taking classes and started having off, you know, going to office hours and talking with my professors and asking them these questions that I had about the Bible, about religion, I noticed that my professors would sometimes sidestep my question or they wouldn't answer it fully or directly. They would make a lot of the fallacies that I would sometimes see preachers make. And, you know, before that, I would be like, oh, you know, you know, is Christianity uh, correct? You know, is the gospel true? Because I see these preachers and they're, they're they're not correct in what they're saying. They're making these fallacies. And I came to Cornell and I noticed a lot of professors make the same mistakes, too. And so. I think that it was other things that really helped strengthen my faith. But that just was my experience. And I think it was very unique because I, I haven't really heard anybody who, you know, their faith kind of was strengthened in college. Yeah, especially like big college like that. And the professors that teach, you know, New Testament and Greek as a Christian, would you consider them Christian professors or is it strictly literary like, hey, this is a text, this is what we're reading and it, faith all of those those things not really mentioned or not talked about is it like strictly literary literary or what's uh i guess their angle on let's say teaching new testament i would say overwhelmingly the professors at cornell are definitely very left-leaning and i don't think a lot of them are christian and if they are they don't vocalize it but my in my experience with the classes that I've taken, I noticed that we did talk about concepts like faith and, you know, when we were studying the New Testament. But it was always framed as like, oh, this is what people think or this is this is uh, what people thought at that time because of these and these circumstances. So they would mention uh, typical you know the way that we as christians would interpret a text they would mention that interpretation but they'd be like but this is why they do it uh, and you know obviously they would give a reason something mm -hmm. naturalistic or some cause that cause that, that you know that made people interpret it in this way or whatever and we won't get too like too specific into it but is there like an argument or two that you remember having with any of your professors that, that made you see that, hey, whatever he's saying is not adding up, and what were those things? So the thing that I most remember clearly, and I don't know why I remember this, I don't think that this is the most rhetorically persuasive example out there, but it really made me rethink my doubts, or doubt my doubts, so to speak. Ooh, I think Tim Keller uses yeah, that a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I asked, I was asking my professor about the book of Acts because... I don't know, I just had questions about the disciples and the resurrection because one of the things that I was, you know, wanted to ask is, well, what if it's true? What if it is true that Christ was resurrected? Uh, and she was like, well, I mean, obviously it's not. This is, this is, you know, it was written like this. It was written this many years after, blah, 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 blah. And so I went to the book of Acts and Luke, who wrote Acts, is considered to be a very, very good historian. And I would mention how, 
although there are certain little parts in a lot of the New Testament or in Luke or in Acts, like places and names of governors that we haven't discovered yet, historically, we have seen so many times uh, via archaeological excavations and further uh, examination that a lot of the things that are mentioned in the New Testament, such as historic sites and names of governors, etc., have been discovered and have been affirmed as true. And so I mentioned that part, but the thing that struck me the most is this question about the resurrection. Well, what if it is true? I I know it's hard to believe that somebody could so you know, so amazingly supersede natural laws and rise from the grave. And I mentioned the book of Acts and I said, well, look, you see the difference of how Peter is depicted. You see that Peter consistently in the four gospels is almost cowardly or, you know, he denies Jesus. And all of a sudden in Acts, you see that he is proclaiming the gospel in in, the, in Jerusalem Square in front of the very people that he denied Christ in front of. I was like, how is that possible? And I remember my professor, she kind of paused and she didn't answer my question. And to me, that really struck me. And I don't think that this is, again, the most rhetorically persuasive thing. But mm-hmm. that was the moment where I was like, wow, uh, my professors can't answer that. And I, and I kind of researched that. And it was those little things about the depictions of the disciples, their change, even and how they, you know, things that would have embarrassed them were mentioned in the New Testament. And it was kind of like, how, how can this be false uh, if you know, if this, if these things are mentioned, if we see these changes. So that was one of the things that kind of got me. Yeah. I, I like Bible is kind of holding itself accountable is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things. Uh, how does the line go? The, the, the history books are written by the victors or something yeah, by like the that. Victors. And it's called kind of like it's, it's one sided. So yeah. And that is one of their arguments that even for Bible books, the, they're, you know, Things that if it was one-sided, they were like, eh, let's leave leave this part out and this one and many other parts yeah. that you would want to leave out from the Bible. But they're all there and kind of r- one of the confirmations that, hey, it's honest because they shared these things about themselves, writing it, you know, about themselves. But no, I think... Yeah, I, w- I, I agree with Kat. Um, I know I, like among us, I've used this quote a ton of times already before, but it's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, and I love a lot of quotes, but <laughs> I feel like uh, what she was saying, how like a lot, especially us, like specifically Slavic community, our parents came here from, you know, from wherever they came from. They were, most of them were believers and we came here and we were raised a certain way. We were raised, you know, conservatively, you know, the way that they believed. And then you get to a certain point and you have to decide, do I believe this or do I don't, you know, do I not? Like there's a difference between your parents, you know, kind of pushing it onto you and you're just like accepting it because, okay. But then you reach a certain age, a certain point, you're kind of like, well, do I accept all this? And I think that usually happens for a lot of people when they go into public higher education. Because kindergarten through, you know, like ninth grade, nobody really cares. Uh, But then you get to a certain point, and then that's, I think, that's usually when you start to have the doubts. Because you're like, are the things that my parents taught me, you know, are they true? Are the things that I've I've learned and read, are they true, you know? And in my experience, too, that's when I've had the most doubts and, uh, and like, you know, questions about, you know, is it all real? Is it all, you know, this and that? But I feel like that's what it takes to solidify yourself because that's kind of like the because you're you're handed all this all these like let's say these gold nuggets you know throughout your life like oh this is what you're supposed to do this is you know this is what we believe and you're like okay cool and you're carrying around this sack of gold and you get to a point and there's like this intense fire and you're either gonna it's either gonna burn away or you're just gonna kind of purify it and you come out on the other side you're like 
no, I'm established in my beliefs. I like I'm more concrete in my beliefs because of what I've gone through. And let me read that quote. And this is written um, Abraham Lincoln's brother wrote this to him in a letter during one of the before around the, the Civil War time. But they're having some conversation. This is kind of taken out of context, but. The quote is, question with boldness even the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. And I feel like that's what kind of cat was going on, well, or at least that I'm going on, but I'm sure that God would prefer that we actually question, like, hey, do you actually exist, rather than just like, I have no idea and I'm not going to give it a second thought, I'm just going to believe what people told me because I'm scared, I don't want to be sent to hell. But I feel like it's like, no, like... We need to challenge the idea, and because that way, when you challenge it, you prove it to yourself. Like when you, when she was challenging her teacher, asking her questions, she could she didn't get a response, she didn't get a, a good answer, and that like in itself is kind of like a an answer for you, you know. Yeah, I think, uh, and again, different topic for a different day, but even younger kids and now you know they're teenagers that were born here, lived their whole life in America. And going, you know, majority going to like a Ukrainian Russian church, and a lot of times having a hard time to understand even what's being preached at service. So it's kind of just come sit on Sunday service and leave. And there's not as much, you know, in a lot of churches as like systematic teaching and explanation of like the tough questions, answering the complicated questions. And I think even myself growing up. I think when I thought of theology, I always thought was that that's like the nerdy guys that are cold-hearted. They just know a whole bunch of facts about the Bible and theology and difficult, hard words. But I was like, they're not that spiritual. That's, I don't know why, but uh, that's kind of the view that I had of theologians. Like, oh, if you start di- digging deep into theology, you're just going to be compl- become this cold-blooded, hard-hearted guy. They're kind of like, that's wrong. No, that's the, uh, the proper word is this. The proper translation is this. And so I was almost kind of like staying away from like all things deeper theology because I'm like, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know. And I think on, on the other side of, of it, I think, was it almost scared. Of like, what if I get into when there's like questions and that I won't have answer f- answers for. But then I think one of the uh, books was the Systemi- Systematic uh, Theology by Grudem. And yeah, once I started reading that, and again, it's something like, I don't know, you you got excited about it, and my faith got strengthened very much, you know, by like books like Systematic Theology by Grudem, because even his book, especially, he explains all the like you know quote unquote big words and whatnot that are used like in theology. But his as I relaxed again, if you're looking, Systematic Theology by Grudem is he will address every topic. He'll say, how do we know the books that are in the Bible should be in the Bible? And then he will like address all of those, address other arguments shortly as well. But then what I really enjoy about his uh, book is that at the end of the chapter, he'll be like, okay, now that you understand how books that are in the Bible are in the Bible, how does that affect your faith? How are you know how does that strengthen your faith? How are you gonna glorify God now? Kind of draws the response. So it's now you just like learn like, oh, this is how Acts, Book of Acts ended up in the Bible, and that's it. Oh, now I know. So if somebody doesn't know, I'm gonna, you know, flex on them. But it's like, no, now that you learned learned this, 
what's your response towards God? What, you know, what's your response towards uh, the Bible itself now that yeah, you've learned put this? It, put it to use for yourself and for others. I got a quick question for you. This is just a personal interest for me. Is there like a – you mentioned that it was a far, farm town or a hick town or whatever. Is there a Russian Christian community there? Well, I know there's a Russian or Ukrainian church in Ithaca itself, but most of the Ukrainian community, I would say, is 30 minutes north in a little, it's called Cortland. It's a little city, and the church has about 200 members, so it's not huge, and I think that's really the only church there, but a majority of the Ukrainian community is in Rochester, which is three hours north, I think, so we don't really get a lot of interaction with Ukrainian people, but we do have like our close Ukrainian Slavic friends. Did you come, just random question, did you come across any Slavic people at Cornell? Oh my goodness, okay, only one Ukrainian, and a, a, a lot more Russians, but only one Ukrainian, and he's the one who went to the. And they're not like church. West Coast, like we're Russians. No, they're, they're like Russian Russians. A lot of them are Jewish. Yes, they're oh, it's okay. Russian Jewish Jews. people from NYC. In, that grew um, up in America or the like, in America, yeah, like, like yeah. New York Jews, like yeah. Brighton Beach, so. Brighton Beach. Yeah, a lot of Brighton Beach, yeah. Westchester. Yeah. What do you miss most about uh, Seattle and Washington? I think the people would definitely be the number one thing, and then. The second thing, oh, I know there's something that I always miss. Just just driving on the roads. That sounds really weird. But the wow. roads... Wow, you obviously haven't driven here in a while. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, it's terrible. It's not, okay, not in traffic, obviously. But I just miss taking the freeways that I always used to take and just driving to church, driving to Walmart. It's so weird, but I just remember all the times when I was like 16. Nostalgia. Just nostalgia, yeah. And obviously, my like, I miss my family more and the friends even more, but I noticed that peculiar thing that I missed and I just like driving on the roads that I used to drive on. And you're not you're not alone in New York, right? You have somebody living with you? Oh, yes. I, I have my husband, Vitaly, okay. living with me. You're married. Yeah, Vitaly once joked to somebody that we were just like living together and it was like a Russian person and I think he believed us. So, what do you like most about Vitaly? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Vitaly is a good friend. I think of yeah. all of us here. I Love mean, Roma, I think Roman maybe didn't That's know him so well. Uh, yeah, he's he's a cool guy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I think I grew up with Vitaly like ever since like a long time ago. So I feel like. I man, that's such a hard question. I guess just the fact that he's how so. About, oh, how about this? This is easier. Uh, what, what do you not like about him? Okay, yeah, I don't know what a lot to answer that. <laughs> well, here's one, two, three, four, five. She's like, that's that's easy. <laughs> Much but easier question. I think that is easier with any person that you meet. <laughs> but okay, so. <laughs> what don't you like about Vasily? What? No, I'm not going to yeah, do this. I'm not going question. to answer these questions. <laughs> so okay, what do I like most about Vitali? That is so okay. That is really hard. How about this? Okay, sorry. Last time I'll interrupt you. Probably not, but okay. So last our last episode, we had a whole segment about uh-huh. marriage mm-hmm. and just what you've learned. How long have you guys been married now? A year and a half. Ooh. Veteran, veteran. I know. I know. We're actually writing a book on marriage and like marriage counseling. Oh so. wow! Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're, we'll all stay tuned. For yeah, that. stay tuned. Amazon coming to Amazon and published on Amazon. Ha- half a year. You, you heard of it here first. It's a plug. I it's know. our first plug. <laughs> yeah. uh, Please buy my book. So kind of just rolling off of what we had last time. Um, was it last week? I want to say last week. Like, like that was like a, New As Year's. if this is a weekly thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so last our last episode, uh, what do we do? Oh, so in your, in your year and a half of marriage, just quickly in like a couple minutes if you can, before we move on to what you like about Vitaly, what have you learned in marriage and what surprised you about being married? Um, what maybe didn't surprise you? What like you totally expected? 
or what you like over expected. Like you thought it'd be like well, mm-hmm. this, totally this, and it actually was not like that at all. Wow, that's a lot of questions. Okay, it is. Yeah. But okay, just remind me of them as I okay. kind of go along. Okay, so I expected marriage to be hard at some point, and so that came true. And I think that the thing that I learned the most was such a like common answer, but communication. No, like the other person is not going to know that this thing bothers you. That's so true, though. Or, you know, that this thing hurts you if you don't say it. And sometimes it's so weird to say it because you want to feel like you want to pity yourself. Like I sometimes want to pity myself and be like, he did not know. He didn't read my mind. He should know this. And you just sit there and you pout. And then you're like, wallow. Yeah, you're swallowing despair. And and it feels just certain. Yeah, to a certain extent. That's the word. It feels really good. You're just like, I am justified because he should have known this. And it's like you have to humble yourself and just have a conversation. And that to me was the hardest part ever. I feel like for you guys, like like last time when we were talking, we were almost like joking that like, oh, you know, most of the things that we like fight about and have communication issues about are little things because the big things in life, you know, like moving to a whole different place. But you guys actually moved to a whole other place in Vitali. He really had no reason to go to New York, but he just came with you. Yeah. No, that was very sacrificial of him because let me just say that nurses do not get paid as much in New York. They get paid half of what they get paid. And so I think that was a very big sacrifice because I don't think the East Coast values medicine as much, at least in their hospitals. And also, obviously, it was just a big change with everything. I mean, he had to leave his family. He hadn't had any connections. Like, I, you know, I was there for a semester, so I got to meet people, got to explore things, whatever. So he didn't have that and he moved. Um, but yeah. Do you think? think uh, you guys moving away right almost you know, how how long was it after you guys got married and moved to uh, back to New York so we got married September 10th of 2017 and we moved to New York January 2018. I think that's like five months because I took a you know, semester off to get married. Do you think it was... She took a gap semester. <laughs> took a gap semester, yes. Do you think it worked out for the better or was or it made it more challenging even for marriage to say moving away from parents from both sides of the parents and it kind of i feel like just imagining that it just almost supercharged kind of like the process of getting to know each other because it just you and vitali and kind of you can't just like hey mom i'm going to mom's house or i'm yeah. going there i'm going to my friends but it's more just you two and you kind of not in like a negative yeah. way, but forced to communicate and figure things out I between each other. I definitely agree. Because we were living with my parents and it's so easy if you're mad at each other to just like complain to your sister and to just go, you know, go get crepes or whatever. And you don't have to communicate uh, as much. But I think moving away really helped us because you okay first of all our apartment was so small it was like a little tiny i think it was like 300 square 390 square feet it was tiny so it's like you're mad at somebody you're gonna see them a lot and you're gonna pass by them and they're gonna be in the bathroom and you're gonna go to the bathroom and you're just gonna have to communicate um and so i definitely agree that just moving away from our parents moving away from everything really just forced us to talk our problems through to hang out with each other because you don't have as many people that you could just call up and be like, Hey, let's go get coffee or whatever. Cause you and don't get, know. Get out of people. the house. With yeah. Or yeah. Definitely. Okay, what so surprised you? What surprised me? Just how, how awesome it is to, to have somebody who knows like every part of you, knows like your deepest secrets, who, who just knows you and still loves you. I think that I, I did not know that that was going to 
be such a good thing. I guess because I had, you know, I obviously I have best friends and I had best friends. And but having like a best friend who's like a girl is not the same thing. I re- and it's just a marriage. The relationship that you have in a marriage is so much deeper. And I never realized how cool that was. I agree. I feel like. Like when you're a kid, you unlock like the basic level of friendship where you're like, oh, we both like the color blue and cars. That's cool. Let's hang out, you know, and you get a little older and you have like more things like, oh, you like Lexuses too? Okay. All right, bro. And we can hang. We both then, like them. We both can't afford them. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, and then like it gets to the next level where, you know, and like, oh, we both, you know, we need jobs or, you know, like, and you start to, the relationships and the friendships start to get more complex and more deep and like, yeah, you and start to share emotions with each other. Like, bro, I like this girl. And he's like, oh yeah, bro. Like, you know, I like her too. <laughs> yeah, I like and, her the, and then, w- and then when you can't afford a Lexus and your friend can't, you just level up to friends that can't That's afford true. a Lexus, yeah. you know? You, you, yeah. You always got to be moving up. <laughs> yeah. But. I feel like throughout life, you're like slowly unlocking these different levels, you know? And then finally, I think when you get married, that's like almost the, f- maybe not the final level. I don't know. I'm only at that level, but. It's your you second marriage. That's the final. That's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like when you get married, you unlock like a whole different. What about life. when you get kids? That's, uh, that's what I'm kind of, that's what I was reserving for. Like, I feel like when you get kids, it like opens up a next, like n- higher level. Um, but I feel like getting married like takes you to a whole different new level where you're just like, what the heck? Like my friends are like, you know, mean to me and they're like kind of like, I don't even know what to say today. You're talking but to your <laughs> friends right now. Yes. No, no. Well, I feel like we have a, we're, we're a high level friendship here, like higher than average. Like our friendship? Yeah. Like on a, on a scale of one you to heard it here first. On a scale of one to kids, oh. uh, I would say, what's the numeric? What's like the... One to a hundred. One to a hundred? I'd say high 70s. Dang, that's like a solid C. With like my wife being like maybe low 80s. <laughs> B minus. Wow. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> my no wife is 110. <laughs> Good answer. And if you're listening. <laughs> no, no, but, but basically what I was saying, I feel like, I feel like that's, you, nobody expects that because they've never had anything like resembling that before. Like you've had your a relationship with your parents and that's like, unique in its own way and then you have your relationship with like your closest friends and that's unique in its own way but then you get married and it's kind of a combination of all the lower levels like you know the kind of the petty like funny uh, friendships and then like the really deep emotional friendships and like the loving caring ones and it all kind of combines together and you're just like dude it is so dope to have like a person who's on my team like team mario <laughs> that person's on team mario and like that's and your team anna yeah, and like you're, you're you're each other's cheerleader, and it's just like man, like you've never experienced kind of that kind of relationship before, and I feel like it caught me off guard, kind of, because I didn't expect that. That's what it's like, I mean, like kind of like Kat was saying. You're just like, dang, this is really cool. Do you guys think you've known, say, for Kat, her husband, for us, our wives? Do you feel like you've known your spouse well before you got married, or is it one of those things? Even though you knew each other, like Roman knew Ramona much shorter but say for us we pretty much all grew up with our spouses do you feel like we knew them already well or is it one of those things you'd know kind of as a friend and you get married is it one of those things like oh it's a total different person or is because uh, no sometimes it's like oh once you get married it's total different and you get to know them so much and or do you feel like no we was the same as we were friends and it still stayed the same after marriage i thought i knew alina when i married her but she was a She's a completely different person, you guys. I'm telling you guys, she's not who you guys think she Dude, is. That sucks. <laughs> she is the funniest person oh. I've ever known. 
I promise you. Uh, we always talk I about it at though, home. Be- I believe you, though, because she's, like, low-key, like... I mean, I don't obviously don't know her wife as well as you, but, like, when we hang out, like, she'll have the really subtle jokes that you really have to, like, listen for. And then she's quiet about it. A lot of times, you used to and I repeat, jokes, though. Yes, and I steal it, and it's hilarious. But at home, I'm telling you guys, she's the funniest person, the biggest goofball, and she makes me laugh legit a lot, a lot. And I tell her... You're never this funny in public. In private, you're hilarious, and I laugh a be lot. Be funny in public. <laughs> yeah, next time we should see we should see Alina. We should be like, hey Alina, say something funny. Say a joke. Do it. Say a joke. You should set up candid cameras in your house. Yeah, she's quirky, and she's I'm telling you, guys, in private, hilarious. In public, oh yes, yes, oh yeah, yeah. Is there <laughs> like is there other things to say like personality wise? Do you feel like it was again like the line of like oh I thought I knew her, but after we got married. I uh, learned so much more. I mean, you do learn a, about a person, but is that like I feel in a surprising like it's kind of like way? I was saying that, like, like let's say from a scale of zero to ten, your average friendship is like a five. That's just like we're good friends, we hang out, and like when you date, and I feel like dating almost gets like maxed out at like level eight. Like that's it. Like you have to like you know buy the next level with like a ring or something like. <laughs> and I feel like you can like you can get to level eight. Maybe not everyone gets to level eight like in their dating phase but like you know you get to level six and you're like oh i'm you know maybe i want to marry this person level seven you're like i definitely want to marry this person let's do it and maybe not a lot of people get to level eight but even if you do get to level eight and like you've known each other for years and you you think you know everything about each other but it's like one of those things where it's like there's like if you're playing like a video game and there's like all locked content and you're like i know it's there but i don't know what's there and because we're dating you know and as soon as you get married like it unlocks this whole new like content you're just like what like you know i think it's, that's a weird analogy but okay do you have anything to add to wait what was the question again uh what do you like about Vitaly? oh <laughs> that's my unanswered way question. back yeah, let's, let's okay rewind so I, I, am i answering that question sure. yes okay um so again i think this is a very hard question because my like r- initial instinct is to just to just be like i like Vitaly because he is Vitaly because there's nobody else like him and but Obviously, that is um, what's what's the word when you kind of like take the short way out? There's a term it's for a cop it. Cop out. Cop out. That's yeah, a cop out. So I guess I will cop out. elaborate. I will. Okay, sorry. There's, I, I will there's almost eight billion people on this. this earth. I think the chances of there's some being somebody like Vitaly is probably okay. Pretty high. No, no, we're interrupting not. you. We're, oh. She did not finish. Her Guys, answer. back to the question. What no. do you like about Vitaly? Okay, I think what I like about Vitaly is that he is so passionate about everything that he does, and. About, about like our marriage, about you know ministry, about school, about education. He is just so passionate about all of that, and he sometimes can be. It seems like he's like overly passionate. It's like, oh, calm down. Like you don't have to be so like dramatic. But then <laughs> he's also he's also very gentle, and it's like this weird combination of these two. He's bold yet gentle. I guess that's the way I would put it. Um, where you know it almost seems like they're opposites but he'll be like yes we want like let's do this let's go here let's uh, plan this um but at the same time he's very he'll be very kind uh, and he will be very sweet and he's so genuine both in when he is passionate and when he is gentle and i think that that combination is 
really really cool and also just obviously the fact that he i think that he's really funny uh and what else i think he's cute she's i like his, i think he has a nice face i think vitali has a really nice face and i like mm-hmm. to take i literally he never takes selfies but i and i don't think he knows that i take selfies but i will take pictures of his face be, and i'm actually going to submit it one day to a modeling agency because i even though he Dude, is, what if you do that like like secretly and then if he gets like accepted somewhere, you're like, hey, congrats. Yeah, no, I s- he would not be opposed to that. But I just think he has a really nice face, too. And uh, I don't know how accurate this is, but were there some challenges? Because he w- was working at the hospital, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was if, it's, if the information is accurate, but weren't there some challenges when it came to abortions and hospitals and him working there? And that's kind of something that had to do with him leaving yeah. the job? Yeah, it was so hard because when we first... Uh, so I'll just give the background story. Yeah, yeah. So when we first came to New York together, January, uh, Vitaly had to wait two months for his nursing license to process because they didn't like tell him the documents that he needed. It was very slow. He submitted it early, but it was still late. So for two months, he wasn't working. And then finally, he started working uh, at, um, in, in a hospital in Ithaca. He was working in the OR. I think that's, what is that? The operations room? Yeah. And he was a nurse there. But... He worked there probably for six months, and he had to take on, he had to be on call at least once a month. So when you're on call, you you know whatever patients come in, you have to give them care. And the thing there was uh, there was an issue because the hospital performed something, and I don't know exactly what the procedure is, but it essentially is an abortion, and or it like creates an abortion. It's something that you. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know exactly what it has is. To do with abortion. Yeah, like like an emergency contraceptive, like something a, along those lines. Yeah, it wasn't like an actual abortion, but it was something that is essentially an abortion. Mm-hmm. Like it kills the baby. Yeah, like a, like a a powerful version of a day after type of deal. Right? Something. Yes. Yes. And he he you know, talked to the management, and they were like, okay, on the days that you work, that you're scheduled to work, we can definitely make sure that you don't get those patients. But the problem is, if you're on call, and a patient comes in and wants this procedure done, you need to do it, because then we're not, you know, we're not providing care to a patient. Mm-hmm. And so, the management was like, it wasn't like this big blown up issue. Vitaly was just like, you know, I get that, and, and I just I just can't work here. So, he, he left that position, and he just kind of like started looking for other jobs and stuff. And that was a lot of around the same time that he was like oh you know it'd be a good time to get a job that's more low-key so i could apply to med school because or was very it's very different from uh med surge and you have to be you have to memorize a ton of things because Mm -hmm. you're essentially helping with surgeries so it was you know it was good in a way that that happened although it wasn't something that we were expecting yeah no it's interesting how there's like more and more stories coming out where even our like slavic community people have to like face this like moral decisions that could you know either take financial hit or something that seems like before it would be like a no-brainer like oh you're working you know in america you know so-called christian country and you wouldn't have to face these kind of decisions and maybe you know we'll talk about it you know on one of the future episodes one of our other friends i don't know the story you know, just heard a little bit about how one of the girls was in school and they were, I believe, like she was pressured into pretty much quitting school because of her Christian beliefs. But she stuck with that. But it was very like they made it very hard for, for her. And I believe there's one more student, and they made it very hard for them to stay enough. If I have a right, like the other friend 
Claire. Yeah, um, well, my my wife also, uh, when she, uh, she's finishing her master's right now in social work, she also got brought in front of a, a disciplinary board to figure to figure you know to figure everything out just because she uh, would um, uh, she did not agree with the same sex uh, views that they had in that program and. Um, it was it was very touch and go for a little bit. She, uh, there was a disciplinary meeting and everything had to be hashed out. Uh, praise God, everything uh, kind of fell our way. No, no, yeah, it's interesting that kind of like in our day, in day and age. But and again, kind of like not unplanned segue. You're, I know you're very interested in politics and even going to Cornell. And one of the options was, you know, maybe in the future going to politics. Just we won't go too long. But what are your thoughts, opinions? concerns or praises for the political climate and whatever we're living in getting a lot of media attention and talked about everywhere is a uh, yeah just whatever whatever your thoughts are First, I th- identify yourself what party are you <laughs> oh my goodness i would she's wearing a blue shirt and she's got a blue water bottle guys <laughs> dang blue you guessed waves. it how how could i get how could i give myself away like that so I don't, I guess I would be an independent who is right leaning. I mean, that's just the typical answer that I give. So my opinion on the current political climate is that it is not good. It is very divisive. And technically the country is split 50-50 in terms of conservative versus left-leaning or liberal but still like you see this increasing antagonism of people just villainizing the other side whether you're on the right you villainize the left or if you're on the left you villainize the right and it's so hard to um see people actually engaging with the other side's arguments it's a lot of like if you're on the right like you'll just listen to ben shapiro and jordan peterson and you won't even like listen to anybody else that's on the other side which ideally you probably should do that um and same thing if you're on the left you're listening to you know i don't know uh, like you're just reading a ton of you're just reading the new york times constantly or watching cnn whatever and you're not doing the opposite so I think that I, – I, do I know why that's happening? My theory is that the rise of social media and just the prevalence of media in general gives a lot of people like an individual voice where they constantly feel like – and they constantly feel like their opinion, because they can share it, is right. And also because of the fact um, – I do think that the fact that on Facebook and a lot of social media sites uh, – a lot of advertisements are just catered to your ideology. Um, so if you're on the right, you're going to have advertisements for politicians on the right pop up in your newsfeed. Yeah, you know, there's definitely like overload of information and hysteria and everything. The most minor stuff and blows up as breaking news, breaking news. Everything you see is breaking news. And actually today, for some reason, I was looking at the whole like the wall stuff and build the wall. And I was wondering, I was like, in the future, are we going to look back at this whole, like, wall, no wall, and we're going to, like, laugh at it, and we're now just so blown up? I was like, who knows? It was like, they build a wall, and, like, in five years, like, 99% of the people are not going to care about the wall and forget about the wall, and it's not going to change the country, and it's not going to make the country, like, crazy safe or something, but it's kind of one of those things, like, oh, we got it, we achieved it, or not achieved it, however it happens. But for some reason, I thought about it. I was like, in five, ten years, nobody gonna give Jack and Squad about the wall if it's there or not there. But right now, it seems like the biggest issue ever. And I wonder, you know, if it's just a political thing, you know, for re-election and like I achieved what I wanted, or. But yeah, I was like, for some reason, I was thinking about it. I was like, is I don't think the wall should be this important. That literally seems like the only thing right now. That I feel there's so many other topics that or issues that should be 
you know, fought for and debated, but all we're talking about is um, some stupid wall and that's it. I don't think a wall is actually that important. I think it's just a tool, in my opinion. But sadly, I think it's a new normal. I don't think it's like a, a blip. Like America went crazy for four years when Trump was when Trump was president, and got really divided, like Kat was saying, because social because of social media and ads being catered and everything. I'm afraid that this might be a new normal where everything is very very divisive. Yeah, and just, you were talking about how um, these things can be used as a tool, whether it's the wall or whatever. I definitely think that's true because uh, in in the United States especially, you're seeing a rise uh, actually in people identifying themselves politically as independent. Um, and a lot of that is because now, both in, in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, a lot of candidates... Like if people vote for them because they're the candidate, because because the candidate has something to offer, because they're interesting, whatever. But in the past, that's not how Americans used to vote. It was like this is the Republican Party. I'm going to vote for the candidate that is part of the Republican Party. It was so much more party oriented than it is now. Now it's like you know so much about the candidates. You follow them on Twitter. It's a very individualistic take on uh, elections. Like a, a tailored tailored candidate, yeah. Yeah, it's like, almost like a celebrity. That's, right, yeah, like uh, Trump was trying very hard to tailor himself to the evangelicals and he got their vote. Yeah, yeah and he got in, did a good, uh, he did, I think, very good job catering to evangelical and I think even him pick, uh, picking Mike Pence and there were some, you know, leaked information. Uh, the behind the scenes, he like makes fun of him. Like, I think one time they like brought up like marriage or something in some sort of meeting. He like called my like the Trump called Pence like, oh, he's the you know the freak that can you know the weird you know weirdo or freak or something along those lines that he's scared to be you know have a meeting with a woman at the restaurant or something. And I and I for some reason with this like I know there's a lot of stuff that probably made up, but like I see Trump you know like making fun of Pence like okay this is the old conservative you know, weirdo and so yeah even him catering and I think some evangelicals that they raised him to such a high almost spiritual level and treated him and still treat some people still treat him as this man of god and this spiritual leader for america and was he a better a better choice than hillary probably but is he like a spiritual climate setter for united states definitely not but some people call him like the man of god and the man from you know man from god himself and all those things and um but yeah and we can talk about it, you know, more more about it next time. But yeah, I, I don't think he's a spiritual leader or you know this godly, you know, man of God. And uh, you know, anybody familiar with Babylon B, uh, they do like satire, like kind of church Christian evangelical news, kind of the Christian version of the Onion. And today I saw one article they had. They used like a pastor's name, and he's like, "So and so pastor pushes through the crowds." to touch the edge of the garment of Trump. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's satire, but everybody... Under, the, the reason it's funny is because some people, you know, esteem him to a very high level spiritually, and I definitely don't think he should be esteemed high spiritually. Well, one, more, one more question, Kat, quickly. Um, have you thought of any comp- campaign slogans yet for yourself? Oh, my goodness. Why would I do that? <laughs> you have to dream big. You have to picture yourself well, where you're going to be. Well, I don't know if I want to enter politics yet. I just but my, my problem with being a politician is that it's like it all depends on your district. And like, 
you like you're obviously you have to be elected by the people and like if you don't do say there's always a debate like do the constituents know what's best or does the politician because he knows more about like what's going on is he able to vote how he wants to because he knows more and so to me it's like a very confusing very like dependent upon people kind of position and so i don't know and also a lot of money um very stressful so i don't know if that would be the exact same thing the exact thing that i would want in a career but definitely like in the future after i've say had a career for like 10 years um i would not be opposed so to that's a politics. no so 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 it depends i mean i guess like right away i would not want to enter politics no like say i graduate high school i mean oh, no i already graduated <laughs> uh, wow wait so how get, old are you I, well say, say i get my bachelor's um or and i go to law school you know i wouldn't want to be a politician like right off the bat i, I just don't think i would not want to be alexandria ocasio cortez i'm sorry well, just, home girl got a 240k salary right now plus all the lobbying money yeah but, but she's chilling now bro, her salary is going to be 10 times that in a couple of years yeah, no, she's chilling. Yeah. But one thing that I mentioned before, uh, I'm looking forward to, and I maybe now it's like you know younger generation growing up. I'm excited to see, and I hope it's sooner rather than later. One of the younger Slavic people try to because the turnout for people voting is very very small. Okay, first of all, there's you know citizens can't vote. Second, you, if you're a citizen, you have to register to vote, and there's you know like only percentage of the people that are registered. But then out of those registered, people have to actually go out and vote during elections, and it's a very very small percentage actually of people deciding elections, you know, in every area and every level of politics. But I'm excited, and I think somebody should do it. And well, like let's, I was thinking, let's say like city of federal way. Like, even for, like, higher position, like, even, like, city mayor seems like, you know, like, a fancy and high position. But, like, gee, if you get a couple churches and people and have, like, a good message and all you have to get is, like, a, maybe, you know, them give several thousand people to come out and vote. And why don't the Slavic people can easily be uh, mayor of Federal Way and chilling? Or and like I think, I think or Pacific or, like, one of those... Ex- well, if you do like Algona Pacific, Pacific, you get the Dniproskis to vote and you're pretty much, <laughs> you're the mayor. I mean, if they're all citizens. We actually, actually I think, who was I with? I forgot who it was. We actually looked into that. And mayor actually makes only like $2,000 or something like a month. But there's like another position. It's like something coordinated. Mayors are mostly like an honorary role. Yeah. Uh, it's like called city planner or city, city oh. like uh, was that with you? Yeah. engineer. It's like city. Pretty much. Something like, like that. City and yeah, and that was like a, yeah. even for like Algona and it was like I think like a 150K position or Dang, something like that. That's nice. But I don't know if that one is it's elected. Whoever, it's whoever Rob Lowe was on Parks and Rec. What was his position? Oh. He's the Parks. He's the parks uh, no, no, no. He was the city manager. Was he? Yeah. I think those guys make the, uh, the money. They wow. create the budget for the city. I wonder, I wonder if that's a, a, an elected position or appointed. I, I don't know. I think it's we, a, we, one more. I think it's. I'm not sure. That's a good. Yeah, question. we can we can look into that. I don't know. Any more follow up questions for uh, for Ka? Uh, Cornell, all things Cornell, life in New York, marriage. Have you gone to a Here Comes Trouble concert yet? No, but I <laughs> want to. Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, exists. I'm pretty sure it exists. Yeah, it does. Cornell. What's the Cornell a uh, quick fight song? It's the alma mater song. I don't know it. It's like very old fashioned. You don't know it? It's very old fashioned. It's like but you don't know standing it. high above the Cayuga's waters. Here's an um, alma mater. I don't know. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Andy Bernard knew it. Do you repeat <laughs> it every morning? Huh? Yes. <laughs> I, when I, you wake up? Yes. <laughs> I mirror? recite it. I recite it to myself. Okay. Quick question. Um, how do you manage stress? College with marriage with home life. 
Uh, I think that, okay. So in, I'm just going to name a few things, not in a particular order, but I always like to keep my life in order. So to have a schedule to make sure that I know what I'm doing. And I always plan it like the day before and, you know, while I'm planning to make sure that I'm just organized. Uh, the second thing is to always get enough sleep. I always get eight hours of sleep and I always make sure that my class, my earliest class is 10, 10 a.m. because I think that I'm more of a night owl. And so I know I'm going to stay up late even if I don't want to, or if I know that I can't. And so I, my earliest class is always 10, 10 a.m. So I guess know yourself, know your limits. And I always make sure to have enough sleep. The other thing is just to eat well. I, mean, I feel these are very basic things, but I yeah, just eat good food. That doesn't mean that you have to be like just spending hundreds of dollars on like organic food or whatever, but just eat things that you like. Don't make sure you're watching what you're eating. And then the other thing is to make, to, to work on your relationships. So hang out with people and you know, I'm married. So go on dates with your husband. And because if you neglect your relationships, you're going to feel just so alone. If you don't have a community, you're going to feel so alone. And I know, um, Harvard did a study actually on happiness and the number one thing that determines a person's happiness. And this is the longest study on happiness in the world. The, the number one thing that determines your happiness and obviously, you know, your stress levels is the quality of your relationships at 50 years old uh, looking at a person's at the quality of a person's relationships will better determine their health than looking at their cholesterol levels and so always focus on your relationships always make time for that because you know in that way you're allowed to uh, share your burden you know there's a quote it's like a burden shared is half the burden a joy shared is twice the joy it's like who wouldn't want that and the other thing is for me, you know, because I'm a Christian, I always make sure to make time, you know, to make God central in my life. So whether I am talking with my professors, whether I am in a class, whether I am writing an essay, whether I am out, out for lunch with a friend to always just remember that everything that I have is given from God to always marvel at just how amazing God is, whether, you know, I listen to my professor and I think, wow, they, they know so much, or I see the beauty of the campus and I'm like, wow, God created this. Um, or I'm hanging out with my friend and like, wow, I am blessed with such amazing people in my life and to make time for prayer, to not neglect those things, to not neglect church. So I guess those are just the top three things. I mean, the, not three. Wow. The top things. I do. Yeah. And, uh, no, that's a, a lot of very, very, I think, good and practical advice and i think we'll be wrapping yeah, wrapping oh, no. up I got, I got a couple questions no no me. i know but yeah i think we'll wrap it up soon oh. uh, but oh, you're gonna cut off the part where i like go down and tell you it's fine, it's fine. Her runny nose. <laughs> I was literally running out of her nose <laughs> i didn't get to conclude that so never i'm not gonna do it because it's not gonna make any more sense but yeah continue what was your question maria two questions so i don't know if you're if you shared this on the podcast, I mean, we all know this, but you got a bit of a scholarship to Cornell. I got financial aid and scholarships. And how much percent would you say is covered of your schooling? Oh, goodness. I don't pay a single cent. Okay, um, so you're full, full ride, basically. Yeah, but it's financial aid and scholarships. Okay. So, yeah. And so uh, do I know what percentage is financial aid and scholarships? Is, but Okay. Do you think that... Never mind. I'm not gonna ask that question. I have another question. Mm -hmm. What is your so you go to a to a uh, a liberal 
school, yeah. liberal university, mm-hmm. Ivy League, a lot of smart people. Apparently, I guess you're really smart too, by association. <laughs> uh, what is your opinion of, and I don't want to say feminism, but equal rights movement in America? And not like the, like the, you know, like bleeding heart, like feminists that like, you know, uh-huh. take it to extreme levels, but just in general, like, do you think that as a, as a, I don't know, I don't say as a Christian, but what as do you, th- a, what is as your, a, as a Jordan Peterson listener, as, as a Christian woman, <laughs> no, no, as, as just who you are, what do you think about? So do you mean equal rights? Like for who, for everybody, like that is just kind of the people that we call the, the identity groups that we constantly see in the media or just equal rights in for i think let's focus on men and women since we are all men and women here oh like the like the extreme feminism or what are you referring no no to? just okay then let's call it feminism whatever what so, are your views on feminism okay so and do i think that men and women should have equal opportunities equal rights yes I don't, I, I mean, yes, I think that's a pretty simple question, but I think that the way in which we pursue it uh, should be smart. So I, I, I'm honestly not well familiar with the current policies that are being pursued in a lot of organizations to promote this diversity um, and this equality, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was very biased, very unstructured. And I think that it also depends upon the organization. So is this a corporation? Is this a private business? Is this you know, a, a government position? And the way in which those different um, organizations pursue equality and obviously i think at a certain extent the government does have to sanction equality because again like to, hey, to, to, we like, have a very like layman listening group and you get we're, we're getting into real like technical stuff here wait no, what, no, what did i say under, no. well, well like okay so the woman did not get the right to vote until the government said you get the right to right. vote. so it's like to a certain extent you do need government sure. intervention to be like yes you know you should do this like you should allow women to do this uh, but i think at, honestly with the things that i am familiar with i think there are very few things that the government could do that would give women more rights because I think women do have a lot of rights. Uh, maybe there are certain areas that I'm not familiar with and I'm totally willing to uh, explore those areas. But I think if, and this, this is just obviously just a general like reply. Yes, I believe there should be equal rights. But again, I think there is a differentiation between just wanting that and third wave feminism where everything is so extreme and so dramatic i don't think fem- feminism was like that in the past and i believe ben shapiro actually mentioned this before where he said feminism feminism in the past used to be like hey men are doing this wrong we should stop them whereas or, or you know or th- these are the things that men have that are good and women should have them too such as like the right to vote i believe that's what it was whereas right now third wave feminism and say is saying men can do all these bad things women should be able to do these bad things too so there's the big thing with like sleeping. It's like, oh, men who sleep around a lot are called jocks. Like, why can't women sleep around too? It's like the solution should be, okay, both like genders should not sleep around. Um, but with third wave feminism, you see a lot of that reasoning you know get, getting into the picture whereas again in the past it was more look at the good things that men have the right to vote the you know education opportunities women should have those too because we are equal in value we have those abilities yeah we mentioned jordan peterson and listened to him a little bit not a lot and really helped me understand this whole feminism and like what's going on what's happening and the, the line that got stuck with me is he used the we should be fighting for the same and you mentioned opportunity same you know same same level of opportunities or equal opportunity for you know for job for position for pay 
equal opportunity. But right now, what happens with like extreme feminism is they're fighting for uh, equal outcome. So they're like, doesn't matter if she works, you know, if a woman works less than a guy, he should get. If they're in the same position, they should get paid exactly the same. Or pretty much, they're fighting, yeah, for equal outcome instead of equal opportunity. If everybody has same equal opportunity, and everybody will say climbing the corporate ladder or whatever, and as long as they're like. Across the board, everybody has the same opportunity, and and there's a lot of explanations, even like the whole pay gap and all those things. And something that I like thought about, I was like, you know, we talk about say in business world or like other positions, we're like, oh, you know, men, you know, it's ninety, you know, percent men and only ten percent women, but let's say in like some high end positions. But then they won't address stuff like, hey, there's you know ninety five percent welders underwater men. And no woman, like, this is discrimination. It's like, no, if a woman is, like, you know, wants to go underwater and, like, weld some ships, I don't think somebody's like, no, you can't do it. But it's like a lot of those jobs that men, you know, high risk, high re- more high reward positions. And, it's like, and it is, you know, men and women are different, and men are more likely to pick those job positions and more kind of, like, high, more risky uh, positions, but they. You know, could be paid a little bit more, and a woman in general. And again, it's a it's a thing that they tend to be more reserved and more not as risk prone. More like, hey, this is stable, this is good, and I'm gonna do this. And something I think one of the studies is that like if you work more than ten percent, uh, then people at your job, then the pay is significantly higher. Let's say if everybody works forty hours a week and you work 44, those four hours tend to be pay a lot higher, kind of like reward, like as a total, like you seem like a more dedicated, more consistent, you sacrifice more, and the the pay, you know, usually goes way higher, but, never, but like, you know, and generalizing with women, you know, they got family, they got kids, they're more focused on that, and for a guy, maybe it's easier to be like, no, it's fine, I'll, I'll work later, I'll, I'll work late and come home later, it's fine. But for women, and again, it's like studies show that they're more likely to care about the family and relationships and friendships. They're like, hey, like I can't work on a Saturday for another, you know, eight hours because I have a family. And the guy is more more open to be like, yeah, sure, I'll come in. I don't care. But then let's say a guy can be getting paid, you know, 15% higher than a woman and they're doing the same position. But again, with capitalism, there are explanations for those things. But again, circling back. We should be fighting for equal opportunity, but not equal outcome. Because if we fight for equal opportunity, the outcomes will be different. But there's a reason the outcomes are different. There. And I think for been going for a while, Kat. Thank you for thanks for having me. Setting time aside. Really cool. It's late. It's what is it now? Almost. It's like eleven. Almost four a.m. <laughs> no, no, it's oh al- no, al- yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Almost midnight, but yeah, thank you for sitting down with us. Uh, was, I think it was. Yeah, I think we had a good time yeah, hearing even about Cornell and all and everything in between. Uh, thank you for talking to na- to us. Maybe next time you got yeah, you in town with Vitali, maybe we can sit down and yeah, more Vitaly and follow up and things. you know ask Vitali some questions and yeah. hear with Vitali's perspective and stuff. But yeah. Thank you for coming and talking to us. And I think a lot of people can benefit from this conversation and from your thoughts and you talking. Thank you. All right. Thank you.